You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Greg Mazzillo, the founder of Proforma, a $600 million printing and promotional product distribution company with over 500 franchise owners. He's also host of the podcast Million Dollar Monday and author of the blog Million Dollar Mindset for aspiring entrepreneurs. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Laura. Excited to be here. Now, tell us a little bit more about Proforma. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? You know, it's a business I started one year after college with a few hundred bucks, very quickly built it into a multi-million dollar business that was on Inc. Magazine's list of the 500 fastest growing companies three years in a row. Started franchising the business a few years later because people read about our success in Inc. Magazine and wanted to know if we were franchising. And today we offer that same opportunity that I had for a business owner, an aspiring business owner to take a few hundred bucks and have the opportunity to build their own million-dollar business. It is really amazing to think about what's possible with nothing, with you know $100 to build a million dollars or you know, people who start in one industry and decide to shift gears yeah. completely and totally. I'm certainly one of those people myself and mm-hmm. never would have imagined that I'd be where I am today. And I think that's the who would have thunk it path that an awful lot of entrepreneurs take, which is part of the fun, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it doesn't take a lot of money, that's even more fun. Yes, Yes, it doesn't take a lot, but it does return, which is always nice. That's the direction we want it to go. Yeah, for sure. Now, what's your favorite part of your job and why? So at Proforma, we say we make millionaires. And that's not just a tagline. We care passionately about the success of our franchise owners and their sales teams. And when we're able to welcome somebody to Million Dollar Club or Multi-Million Dollar Club, which is our premier recognition event, and put a million dollar or multi-million dollar jacket on them at this recognition event, and give them a big old hug. That's probably my favorite part. In fact, we have, for the first time, we'll be putting this upcoming Million Dollar Club, a $50 million jacket. Wow. On the husband and wife team. Yeah. Very exciting. So did they have to share the jacket or do they each get one? No. <laughs> I don't think the one would fit in the other's jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. They're a wonderful couple. They'd be happy to share their jackets, but no, they each get their own. They each get their own. That's great. That'll yeah. they'll be the power yeah. couple walking down the street yeah. in their $15 absolutely. million jacket. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, then what is one of the biggest issues of the day for you? And how do you find that you have to adjust your approach when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? The biggest issue of the day is what we're all experiencing. Coming out of COVID, we're a different world, and we're not going back to the world that we used to be. Uh, You and I are looking like, acting like we're across the coffee table from each other at a Starbucks, and yet we're doing this virtually. And so adjusting to the reality of doing things virtually, and so helping our franchise owners and their sales teams adjust to that reality too. Because back when I started my business, I just would walk into businesses going field calling, it was called, cold calling, walking in, talk to a receptionist. The receptionist knew everything about the company, right? And today you can't do that. You know, you, they don't even want people, strangers walking in. Typically, there's not even a receptionist 
there anymore. Often so, there's not a there there anymore. There, people yeah, exactly. are just have gotten rid of their office space entirely. Exactly. And so adjusting to the reality of identifying qualified prospects virtually, right? Connecting with them, scheduling appointments, conducting great appointments, and growing the sales relationship virtually is a challenge for everybody. But I, it's exciting, right? I think about all the shoe leather I wore out walking up and down streets, walking in <laughs> and out of businesses. And today, you know, you can be 10x to 50x more productive if you figure out how to do the virtual thing effectively and efficiently. So who are some of the different groups that you have to convince of this? Are there people who say, no, we should still stick to doing everything in face-to-face and traveling and pounding the pavement, as it were? Or is there anybody you find is not buying into this whole notion of this is the new normal? Anybody still resisting? Well, there's no such thing as resisting because either you're experiencing that reality or you're not. Now, we do have some franchise owners who are in tertiary markets, you know, very small rural areas where you still can walk into that business and they're sort of still there. But in general, our people want to be calling on bigger customers, customers that spend $25,000 to over $100,000 a year each. And so I think most of them have done a very good job of adjusting to this new reality and the new opportunities that come with it. Then who's been the toughest audience that you ever had to get through to? In the beginning, when we started franchising, we were targeting our industry. And the people in our industry originally were like, why would we join you, 28-year-old punk kid? You know, why would we want to use your brand? And we were actually not able to convince that audience for many years to join us. And so we shifted our strategy to recruiting people outside of our industry, people that were just looking for a great, low-cost startup opportunity. What's one of the big issues of the day and how do you have to adjust your approach when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? Sure. So at Proforma, probably the hottest topic of the day is this new idea that I actually just kind of came to me one night and then I get all excited when I wake up. Sometimes I have great ideas and I don't remember them in the morning, but I remember this one. And it's this whole franchise affiliate program where this is the new opportunity for somebody to invest a couple hundred bucks and build their own million dollar or multi-million dollar business affiliated with one of our existing franchise owners, holding their hand until they get to at least a million dollars in sales. And so I had some key stakeholders. I needed to convince that it was a good idea. And in fact, a great idea. There's the leadership team. There's the management team. There's the franchise owners that need to participate because the affiliates are going to partner up with them. And then there's the prospects themselves. And You know, I think everything that's a new idea just gets challenged. And we've done business the same way through what we call conversion franchising, mostly recruiting people that were already in the industry to grow with us. That's a pretty common theme. Hotels are conversion franchises. Real estate companies are conversion franchises. But this idea of bringing people in from outside of the industry, either looking for something part-time, maybe part-time to full-time, maybe a stay-at-home parent looking for something to do between nine and two when the kids are in school and only have to invest a few hundred dollars and have this opportunity to build a million-dollar business alongside a franchise owner, mentoring them, just required 
in my mind, it was an instantly great idea, but a lot of other people, I just needed to explain it to them in slow motion. Let me understand. Let me make sure that I'm digesting what this is. So the traditional model of franchising, if you think of franchising like a you know, McDonald's or something along those lines, they're almost competition, one branch with another branch if they're too close to each other. But with what you're describing in the, the startup franchise is more of a, and I'm sure there's a more recent term for it, but more of a network marketing or I think they used to refer to it almost multi-level kind of, but where one current franchisee will mentor another one who can then mentor another one along the way. And there's more direct connection between their businesses as opposed to just strictly siloed. Is that accurate? Uh, there's two kinds of franchising. One is what's called greenfield or startup. And that's what most people are familiar with. You know, somebody thinks they want to own a restaurant and maybe they eventually decide hamburgers and then maybe they eventually decide McDonald's. And they learn the business from the ground up. Curiously, no matter how rich you are, you need to work in a McDonald's before you can own a McDonald's. Mm. And this is what that concept is based on. Most of the 30 years we've been franchising, most of our franchise owners were what were called conversion franchises, not startup. People already in the business looking to take their business to the next level with our programs, marketing, technology, and more. And now we're going back to what's Greenfield or startup franchising in this affiliate program where somebody will just be affiliated with an existing franchise owner. It's not multi-level. It's not a whole bunch of different levels. It's just an aspiring entrepreneur wanting to start part-time or full-time, affiliated with an already successful franchise owner, guiding them every step of the way. And so what is it that the different groups want to hear? What makes it, what's their resistance point? What's their friction that makes them hard to convince of sorts? And then how do you have to address this approach to each of them to get them to see the merit? Well, for the leadership team and the management team, it was just different. It was just a different idea, different than what we've been doing historically. And sometimes different can be good, but people digesting that difference. And a lot of people are processors. You know, I'm an instant, that's a great idea. Let's go do it kind of a person. But a lot of people need to process things and need to come back and ask more questions. Some of our franchise owners were like, why would I ever want to do that with an affiliate that could become my competition someday? And they need to understand all of the great benefits of that. In fact, we have our first affiliate. We've been testing this. And the first affiliate, we have about a dozen now. And the first affiliate that signed on with us, who's been with one of our franchise owners for six months, already wrote $3.5 million in business at 50% gross profit. Wow. Think about that. We've already made them a millionaire. That's exciting. So that's a great question that the existing franchisee would be asking of, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to train my competition? How do you answer that? Well, the answer is exactly what happened with this particular franchise owner and their affiliate. This affiliate in six months, three and a half million dollars in sales, 50% gross profit on the sale. And of course, the franchise owner shares with the gross profit with the affiliate while they're mentoring them and providing all of the back office support that somebody needs the lines of credit, the suppliers, the manufacturing, et cetera. And this affiliate could leave now because they've achieved that million-dollar benchmark and they could opt out of that agreement and they don't want to. They love the support they're getting from the franchise owner. They realize for them to create their own infrastructure, they wouldn't really make a whole lot more money. And so there's the answer in itself. And what's one of the 
most important lessons that you learned when you went from being your own individual contributor in a company to leading your very first team? So when we started franchising, that was probably the most difficult lesson ever. And so we were a distributor, we had our own sales force, and then we started franchising. And I got very involved in franchising and I was advised by many people to start what's called a franchise advisory council, inviting your franchise owners to be advisory to you. So at our first annual convention, I gave this great speech. We need a franchise advisory council. Any one of you that want to do that, please let me know. We'll get you signed up. And so they all met and they decided they wanted to create a franchise advisory council. And I waited for them in a separate meeting room. And then they came in and said, Greg, we've decided we want to create a franchise advisory council. We've been elected as the initial leaders of the Franchise Advisory Council. And the first order of business is we've decided we don't want you in the room when we meet. Ouch. And I thought, right? I thought, oh my goodness, what have I created here? And I had to trust. I had to trust that the cream would rise to the top. And in fact, the cream did rise to the top. And some of the great support and some of the greatest things that we've ever tried to accomplish, we've accomplished arm in arm with our Franchise Advisory Council, but just being asked to leave the room, and I'm a control freak. <laughs> Tell me one business owner who's not. I, I don't exactly. know if that is right. But trusting, trusting that that was the right thing to do, that they weren't there to gang up on me or start an attack, but rather to really, truly help the company. But they wanted that confidentiality, if you will, the ability to speak their own mind. And come with honest feedback. And did you have to push back at all with that? Or was it, uh, did you sort of accept their decision right off the bat? No, I did. I knew I, I didn't have a choice, mm. right? And, I mean, just sometimes you just know you don't have a choice. And instantly I had to decide. And they were very good people. I, I knew the people. I didn't know their idea that they were going to kick me out of the room. But I knew <laughs> the people. And I knew that they were solid, good people that were solid behind making Proform a better company. And I had to make a decision. And I said, guys I, and gals, there were some women on the Franchise Advisory Council. I said, I trust you. And I'm looking forward. And so they wanted to meet themselves first without me in the room. And then they wanted to report the results. And we've had nothing but really great, great success enabled by, in a large part, our Franchise Advisory Council. And that's the irony, right, that you pick a group of people to be your advisors who you believe will truly have the company's best interest, your best interest, and everyone else's best interest at heart and make the best decisions to achieve those best interests. For sure. It just sort of never occurs to you that one of those decisions will be uh, to, to help have you exit stage left. Yeah. If you said, tell me you, the expected outcome of what they're going to say when they come meet with you, I couldn't have guessed that one. <laughs> but kudos to you to, for having the, the humility. We talk a lot about leadership requiring humility as a primary skills and ability there just to be able to recognize, okay, you know what, I'm going to trust. If they say that I need to back off in this area, then I will do that and not just take it. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of wound licking afterwards, but nevertheless, to, to trust that and to not take it defensively or or let the ego drive. And I think it would be very easy for most of us to let the ego take over the driver's seat. And that never bodes well, does it? Never. No. Now, with all of that, this is our opportunity to challenge the listeners directly. This is our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So, Greg, mm -hmm. I'm going to turn the floor over to you, allow you to talk directly to our audience okay. and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to help them have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? 
Well, it's a challenge I have. Okay. And so I have to challenge myself with the same challenge. Love it. And it is that the word influence curiously starts with the word in. Hmm. And I think a lot of us think influence is something that's outward. Things I'm going to say, right? Things I'm going to do. But influence, I don't believe, starts with the outward action, but it starts with the inward action. Reflecting, at least for me, I'm told we have 60 to 90,000 thoughts a day. And I think for most people, including myself sometimes, those thoughts can be very negative, very self-defeating. Am I worthy enough? Am I smart enough? Can I sound as smart as Laura, like when I'm talking with you? And those self-doubts, people can sense at the other end. And it is only when inwardly we work on ourselves, inwardly when I work on myself, what are those thoughts that are self-defeating and stand in the way of my being 100% confident and thus having 100% influence. So I would challenge the listeners to say, what are those thoughts? A lot of our brains are wired. You know, we wake up, we brush our teeth the same way. We have the same thoughts every day, right? Our brains are very wired to think mostly about the past and beat ourselves up for lots of that stuff. So I would challenge people to say, What are those recurring thoughts in your mind that keep you from being as influential as you want to be in your life and in your business? Not just listening to that inner critic and the the inner hesitation and the the worser self, as it were, but to to take notes, transcribe, write them down, and then do what with that list? What would you challenge them to do with that list? I would challenge them to think of the opposite side of it then. What is it that you're going to be when you're more influential, what is it you're going to be building? And put some pictures on your mirror of what is it. It's kind of like a dream board. Why? Why do you want to have more influence? Are you trying to build a business? Are you trying to pay for a house for your family? Do you want to get a new car? What is it that you're trying to make the world a better place? Whatever it is, put those things on the mirror. So the first thing that goes through Your mind and my mind is, why is it that I want to be influential today? And to do the hard work of not letting the past and the wiring and firing that tends to go on, but to defeat that and to get to my desk and to do the hard things first and to do all of the other things in my mind that are required to be more influential first with myself and then with others. Now, I have to go one level deeper on this question because I'm a big proponent, as you said, of not asking a client or anyone else to do something that I wouldn't do for myself, which is part of why in all of my trainings and in my coaching, I'm always having people record themselves on video to be able to listen and watch and see themselves, hear themselves objectively, which is a very different animal. You never have to learn to like it, but you do learn to appreciate the the incredible value and clarity that that kind of exercise gives you. You started by saying this is a challenge that you do for yourself. So I got to ask, what's one of those little negative voices in the back of your head that you've had to to deal with? What's one of those things you've heard yourself say? For me, the biggest thing is my past. Different failures. It's far more easy for me to get hung up on failures I've had in the past, things that upset me, things that make me angry, things that disappoint me, rather than thinking about how brilliant and excited I'm going to feel when I win today. And rather than reflecting on those losses and those wounds and those negative thoughts, to think positive thoughts, grateful thoughts, thoughts of massive gratitude and massive success. 
So powerful. So powerful. So I, I'm glad we framed that into here's where my head gets going. And even to know that somebody who's the head of a $600 million organization can still have those little devil voices sitting on the shoulder that that head trash still comes through. We're all human. So Absolutely. everybody else out yeah. there, follow in the footsteps. Look, acknowledge those voices, write them down, squish them, replace them with something else, something a lot more productive, a lot more millionaire mindset positive and look at what's possible. So thank you for the inspiration and for the examples. Now let's go to the other direction. What's a mistake that you've made, a communications related mistake? And if you could have a do-over, what would it look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best example ever was just not paying attention. I was young in the business. I called on this one account, very large account forever. And finally the lady said, you know, I do want to hear more about your business. Obviously she had a need, and the time was right. And I went in and I'm thinking of all of the brilliant things I'm going to say, right? And I start talking and she's asking really good questions. And at some point along the way, she was asking how we would be able to solve this one problem. We don't need to get into it, but I said to her words I wish I could take back. And what I said to her was, don't worry about that. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And, and she went pale and her jaw fell. And she looked at me and she said, I, I, I need to end this conversation. And I thought, what? I, I thought we were doing so well, right? And she said, you, you haven't paid any attention to my office. And, and that was the first time I looked around and I saw pictures of cats, stuffed animals that were cats. Her desk, her office and her walls were filled. Obviously, her life was just filled with cats. Oh, and no. what I learned was, and I wish I could do it over again, but I learned the lesson. We all have expensive MBAs, right? The lesson I learned was pay attention, Yes. look around the desk, look around the office, see what's important to that person, because those are the places that we connect or in that case, disconnect. Yes, yes. And it's funny because you often hear in more traditional sales trainings, especially when you are in the room with the other person, you look around, do they have pictures of their kids on the desk? Do they have pictures of a pet? You know, what what point can you can you pick on to try to find a, a mutual connection with them? But those kinds of visual input opportunities are just as much, should at least be just as much a cue about what to avoid, what not to say, what yeah, path yeah. not to go down, whether it's a political direction or a family direction or animals or food or something along those lines, you just pay attention and for no other reason to know what landmine to avoid. Yeah, exactly. That's a great lesson. Exactly. Now, what about an approach that you've used to address an accountability issue with somebody on your team? 500 franchisees, I would imagine that they haven't all been super easy right from the beginning or people you've hired more from the leadership perspective, accountability always comes in. What's an approach you've used? So I truly love and hate electronic communications, email and syntax. Mm. Reason, I think we all do. The reason I love it is so convenient, right? I don't have to have real-time conversations with anybody. Why I hate it is when I'm talking with somebody, in fact, you're doing it and I'm doing it, we keep nodding our head. I, so I know you heard me. But when I send somebody an email and say, will you do this or will you look into this? And they don't reply back. You can't see their head now, right? And so many people get that email and they'll even start doing what you ask them to do, but they don't acknowledge that head shaking that they got the email. And we probably once every three months set out a reminder to all of our people in the support center. We don't call it a headquarters. We call it a support center because that's our culture. 
to acknowledge, advise, and calendarize. Acknowledge that you've got the electronic communication because even if you start doing what you were asked to do, but you don't tell the requester that you're doing it, you're just as bad off as if you weren't doing it yourself. So acknowledge receipt, advise what you're going to do, and put that deadline on your calendar so things don't fall through the cracks. I am an absolute nut about proper etiquette, follow-up, and follow-through with electronic communication. I couldn't agree more, and I'm glad to hear you say just, please, two words to everybody, acknowledge receipt. It's, you know, it really, you can use two letters. Okay. It does not have to be a (laughs) truckload of information, but, uh, you know, and I'll hear some people and, you know, we'll, we'll agree to not you and I, but I will agree to disagree with some of the others who are like, well, you know, but as leaders or as, as managers or as whatever, I was like, if I actually respond to every one of these something or other that, well, that's just so many more emails that I have to send out. Like if there's a problem, I'll tell them there's a problem or otherwise I'm just going to do it and not talk about doing it per se. And I understand that in some ways it's managing time in the immediate for you, but the lack of transparency is just fraught with peril Mm. to to your point, because then I don't know if you aren't responding to me because you're doing it or because you didn't get it. That whole notion of no news is good news is not good news. That does not fly. Never, never. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Because then we, the counter added, so to speak, is that if I'm not hearing anything and I give you the benefit of the doubt, then I'm assuming that you got it. And we all know the expression about yeah, what yeah, happens yeah. when you assume yeah. things. For sure. right? So that's where we are left as a default if there's no acknowledgement. So yes, yes, yes. For accountability. Love it. Just acknowledge receipt. And even if maybe we put that at the bottom of the email, please acknowledge receipt by X amount of time or something along those lines, but whatever you need for the group. Love it. Yes. Acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. Talk all about it. I have to have transparency at work, but okay, well, let's start with telling me that you've got this and understand the deadline or something along those lines. Okay. Clearly you you hit a hot button issue with me. So I'm going to get off my soapbox as well. Thank you. (laughs) Now from there, let's talk a little bit about succession planning, because if somebody in your organization wanted to move up into a senior leadership role, one of your leaders, one of your teammates in in pro forma, aside from general technical expertise, what's a skill they'd have to demonstrate and why? Yeah, they have to get known. They have to get on leadership's radar. They have to know that somebody cares passionately about the vision of the business, understands the vision of the business. And in fact, At this convention, we're going to give our franchise owners what we call an engagement award. Why? Because why did I assign that affiliate to the franchise owner that got them and received a three and a half million dollar order or three and a half million dollars worth of total business in six months? It was because that person was engaged. They were on our franchise advisory council. They come to our annual convention. They engage with me. I I have another two and a half million dollar business development team have two and a half million dollar acquisition we gave to a particular franchise owner in Indianapolis because they were engaged. And so it's the same for if you, you've got to get on somebody's radar, get engaged. You know, people that show up at eight o'clock in the morning and go home at five o'clock at night. I don't care how proficient you are. I don't care how smart you are, but you're not engaged. And you're more than likely than not on the radar of the leadership team to know that you're passionately interested in the business, you share the vision, and your competency will show up too. Of course, you need to be competent, 
but just show that level of engagement, that level of involvement, that level of sharing the passion. And that doesn't happen necessarily between nine and five. Let me ask you a little bit more about that, because in the virtual world, there are people who have obviously many different roles, whether it is the the sales and marketing world or the mm-hmm. IT and security world or the finance and, and accounting kind of it doesn't matter what it is. But in your organization, understanding that different people have different roles, which require different kinds of, I'll call it, well, productivity or different kinds of deliverables, et cetera. How would you define engagement for those who are like, look, I, I'm in the finance world, I do my spreadsheets, I crunch my numbers, I talk to you about this, or I'm in IT. What does it what does it mean to show you that I am engaged beyond, you know, I, I communicate as I need to communicate, I do my job, my quality control is exceptional. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's no problem. So my yeah. team is productive and right. not screwing up. So what more do you want from me? How do you demonstrate engagement, especially here in the virtual space? Ask questions. I think so many people think they need to take directions and run with them, even if they don't make sense to them. And I think our organization, you know, we've been in business 45 years now, right? I think we probably do so many stupid things in our company because 20 years ago, I said, hey, here's a great idea, right? I probably have 30 ideas today. And nobody either had the guts to say, hey, Greg, why would we do that? Or, hey, Greg, have you noticed 20 years later, we're still doing that? And I don't think it's a good idea anymore. And so to ask great questions and to even challenge, not in an ignorant way, not in an obtuse way, but more in an asking a great question way. Hey, I'm not really understanding why we would still want to do this. Could you help me understand it better so that I could maybe even do a better job of it? Ask great questions and challenge appropriately leadership when you really feel that they need to be challenged. I'm going to, okay, good. I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. And there's two phrases that you use, and I'm going to ask you to define them a little bit more or or give some examples. I'm willing to bet that upon hearing the advice of you have to ask great questions as a way of showing engagement, there is half of the audience out there who's saying, but how do I know if it's a great question or not? What if it's a stupid question? Is it good enough? Is it great enough? And there's a fear of not wanting to ask the dumb question. So they're going to just hold back because they'd rather stay silent. What's the, there's another expression, you know, uh, better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of people who live by that and it's better just to avoid problems than to have the opportunity to show greatness. How do you know if it's a good question, if that's their concern? You could ask. It could be a two-part thing. You know, (laughs) you could ask the boss, rather than coming right out and saying whatever the question is or whatever the challenge is, to rather say, hey, you know, I've had a few thoughts. Is this the kind of an organization where questions are safe to ask? And just ask the question that way. Not even ask the question, but just ask if you're going to ask the question. And sort of see what the feedback is that you get from somebody. And any manager, any leader that really is worth a darn would say, absolutely. I, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, we just promoted somebody that's been with us for 10 years to vice president of marketing. And this guy used to do everything I'd say, right? And so I was pretty used to that. And uh, so then I ran this idea by him, a marketing concept. And he actually came back and he said, you know, Greg, I that doesn't fit in whatever our 
corporate communication guidelines are. I didn't even know we had corporate communication guidelines, but they didn't vet. And you know what I said to him? I said, man, Patrick, thank you for saying no. So many people just say yes. And organizations do so many stupid things because people just say yes. And you know, if you're in an organization that doesn't appreciate and respect honest, candid, intelligent feedback, then you got to go find a new home. Because if you truly care to climb the ladder, if you truly care to make a difference, that means behaving differently and being respected for your difference. 100%. And that actually brings up another really, well, that's a great segue, I should say, to my final question for you, which is, as Peter Drucker famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. So what's one communication pattern that has had a big cultural impact, positive or negative, on a team that you were either on or led? Everybody in our organization knows we're in the dream business. We are not in the printing and promotional products distribution business. We're in the dream business. We're here to help our franchise owners and their sales team's dreams come true. And when you know that, when you know that's your job, then you really know what else needs to follow, whatever it is, even if you're in accounting, if they're asking for a report or whatever it is. When we understand we're in the dream business, and during the course of most of our franchise owners' day, because we're a B2B sales organization, their best call all day might be with somebody on our support team. And we need to be that friendly voice, that caring voice, because all of us in sales primarily sometimes need to be built up because there are bad days that come with B2B sales. And there's probably bad days that come with any business. And so knowing that we're in the dream business and caring passionately about our franchise owner's dream, probably I think it helps really drive the behavior of the whole organization. Starting with the why yeah. and having a clear mission, purpose, vision. And I love that idea of recognizing that, especially for people out there who tend to, quote unquote, justify their jobs, meaning minimize everything with the word just, like I'm just an accountant. I'm just a yeah. developer. I'm just a this. I'm just a that. I'm just a yeah. individual contributor, a manager. I'm not a big. No, it's not. You are still, no matter what your role is. I mean, it's a great lesson from the Disney organization and whatnot Absolutely. that whether you're sweeping floors or whether you're an important integral part of the experience that your customer is going to have that should help make their dreams come true, whatever it is. So I think that's a beautiful way, inspiring and Absolutely. Now, with that, Greg, how can people learn more about you and Proforma? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I'm super excited about the opportunity. And right now there's probably tens of millions of people going through their great resignation, looking for their own business, maybe stay-at-home parents, looking for something to do part-time between nine and two. And this is a beautiful business therapy. I tell people that this business ought to be illegal. What else can you do that you have to have no manufacturing equipment, no manufacturing inventory, no warehousing space or retail space, right? And yet sell stuff in the millions of dollars at 30 to 40 plus percent gross profit. Mm. It ought to be illegal. And so if there are people out there that would love to learn more about the opportunity that I had many years ago to put in a couple hundred bucks and become a part of the new Proforma Franchise Affiliate Program. They could go to proformafranchise.com and uh, learn a little bit more there. And if they want to chat, let us know because how did we build Proforma? One great person at a time. And maybe somebody listening wants to be that next great person. 
That's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Greg. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody else out there, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode if you haven't done so already. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or your platform of choice so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.